Commendatori. You are already checked in. Commendatori. Like a command. I like that. That's respect. Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 32. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And it's good to be back home, isn't it, boys? <laughs> uh, I'm so relaxed right now. I'm cozy, like uh, like I'm right by the fireplace. <laughs> yeah, we're all snuggled up. Yeah, in this cold, this cold storm. <laughs> it did feel a little more snuggly when I was uh, sitting on the floor on top of all my clothes, but I'm back in podcasting position mm-hmm. now. We're all being very professional about things. That's our New Year's resolution, as this is the... Uh, First episode True. recorded in the New Year's. We're going to be more professional this year. Yeah, we crammed in all those manic episodes at the yeah. end of the year, um, but now we're we're back to form. I'd say. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those last episodes. I don't. I don't like. I feel like they're a little. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying my performance, not your guys. Was like, I feel like I was just a little, just too much. I was a little. I was. I was being very dominant. So I was just. Yeah, I want to apologize. To quote a comedian fallen from grace. I'm a comedian that pushes boundaries. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the Irish the Irish spirit of Shane Gillis channeled through my Irish genes and kind of <laughs> produced some, you know, some dark you know, they have dark Irish. That was that was kind of like some dark Irish behavior. <laughs> uh yeah, and so our first our first act as a more professional podcast this year was a uh, miscommunications in the in the, in the <laughs> yeah. planning of this episode, which is why you may have seen a tweet with false information uh and me logging films on Letterboxd that we'll talk about in a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, don't listen to the tweets. Those are those were false. We've uh you know, just don't look into it. We're really like as we get into election season, we are really in the height of the uh, disinformation age, you know, from reports of Bernie Sanders calling Elizabeth Warren a bitch <laughs> to, you know, the podcast getting messed up sometimes. Uh, so the reason for the season uh, is upon us. Everyone's favorite thing to do at the end of the year or the beginning of the next year to rank the films of the year that we thought were the best. Yeah, we you know you spent time watching movies. You went to the movie theater. You sat down in the seat. You watched the movies. You watched like thirty to fifty of them. Years over, you're thinking about you know how does my year go? What did I do? Um, you know how did I improve my life? And you're like you know let me just rank these film lists. You know these films real quick in the <laughs> order of how much I enjoyed them. So that's what we did. Oscar night is heating up, baby. <laughs> 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 and you know. Uh, to start off the list, number one, Parasite. Yeah, <laughs> number two, nineteen seventeen. <laughs> of course, that's a real. How did they do it? Movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, has anyone said this yet? Nineteen seventeen to Paris. Anyone oh, ever said oh that? shit! I, I'm a yeah. fan. Yeah, I'm a yeah. Fan. yeah. Uh, I did rewatch the fifteen seventeen to Paris when I returned from my vacation. I saw it only fitting to retrace the footsteps of my <laughs> my holiday and uh, you know the the heroic acts that could have been if I did take certain trains. <laughs> Dang, yeah, we had Eddie uh, as a sleeper cell in Europe just in case any terrorism was going on, you know, Clint style. So. <laughs> Good job, Eddie. Nothing happened. Yeah, th- <laughs> thank you. Uh, uh, JT, how was your vacation? How was your sojourn back uh, to your homeland? Uh, it was nice. I got to just hang out, chill a little bit, watch some good flicks. I don't know. Reconnect with uh, family, uh, mm-hmm. loved ones. Um, yeah, nothing too terrible. Do you yeah. guys have any New Year's resolutions? 
I mean, other than making the podcast more. Yeah, profound. no, I think mine is to get uh, um, Paul Walter Hauser on the podcast. Ooh. Oh, damn. Now, I said something about wanting to keep a, uh, a critical distance from. <laughs> 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 no, I mean, obviously, uh, Paul Walter Hauser. We're going to be talking about him today. And uh, he's he's lovely. He's a new star. And uh, extended clip. That's one mainstream trend that we're fine jumping on the bandwagon of is uh, Stan culture for uh, yeah. uh, Paul Walter Hauser. Somewhat mainstream, but Jewel, you know, Jewel didn't. Not many people saw that movie. That was more like actors being like, "Paul, yeah. Paul, you killed it." You know, yeah, and like film Twitter people. Yeah, being yeah, like, yeah, true. Those those aren't people. It's true though. He was the god of acting this year. We'll oh, get yeah. to it. Oh, yeah. we're, so we're gonna give out some awards uh, because, as I said, Oscars big night is heating up. True. We're trying to we're trying to start our own Oscars in a way, and <laughs> because because they don't represent the art house. <laughs> and we do so as armand white put in a headline uh just the other day <laughs> oscars so white so male who cares <laughs> <laughs> and you could extend uh, apply that to extended clip here if you look at our top ten yeah they're not gonna be happy and us, <laughs> and uh, us generally the people we have on the podcast yeah People we interact with in <laughs> our daily lives, and <laughs> oh my god, and just <laughs> look at every aspect of this, you could find something <laughs> like that. So, what we did is uh, we each brought our top 10 or our top 12 or whatever, however many favorites we had this year, and we kind of fused them into a list of 20 films. Uh, 20 films that will rule them all, yeah. and uh, they are the extended clip favorites of the year, and we did all the math that we <laughs> needed to do mm -hmm. to make the list make sense, correct? Yeah, and there's power in numbers. That's why we unified our lists, to make this list even three times as impactful. So, before we get into the best, why don't we talk about the worst? This is extended clip, Razzie's night yeah. is heating up. <laughs> it's a I made a Razzie with my tongue. <laughs> um, yeah, we don't need to devote too much yeah. to this, but the five worst films I saw this year were The Laundromat, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Jojo Rabbit, Booksmart, and Avengers Endgame. Damn. Um, I, I I don't have them ranked either. I'm trying to remember if I can remember all five, but just Booksmart, Brightburn, Bombshell. I guess that's all three I remember There's, that I can remember. Did you see Jojo? Did not see JoJo. Deliberately did not see JoJo. Smart move, my friend. But I feel like mm. it's people have been asking me to watch it, and it's just kind of like tempting. I no, you watch. can't. You can't escape it. Like oh, yeah. I've, I've been. My roommates have really been uh, egging yeah. me on for that, and it's just like you're not. Like I'm. We're not gonna yeah. feel the same way about this at all. Exactly. Also, I remembered my other two that I wanted to include it in my bottom five, and it's a couple of horror movies. Mm. It part two Ooh. in Midsommar. Damn, I, both of those movies sound like hate crimes. Yeah, well, there's a hate crime in it. That's what I've heard. Yeah. And Midsummer just seems like you know. Yeah, it's a, it's what do you call it? It's, it's, it's a hate crime to the senses. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah a hate crime to the integrity of the form. Yeah. of moving pictures. Scorsese, I gotta disagree. You misread this one. You misread this guy. <laughs> oh yeah, Scorsese yeah. he's a big fan, right? Yeah. yeah, He put him. He put him in like the big three of like filmmakers who are making you know original art still or something. Damn, like that's that. wild. Hey, hey, you know. Oh, fun. didn't he also put like Lucretia Martel though? So yeah, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, Joker fan. Yeah, Joker. <laughs> Famous <laughs> Joker fan. <stand. laughs> <laughs> she gave it the biggest award she was able to give it. Yeah. Know? 
What about you, JT? Um, yeah, just some bottom three. I guess I'll say uh, two classic stinkers: uh, Book Smart, uh, Fuck Elizabeth Warren, uh, <laughs> and uh, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, and then I'm gonna say uh, the report. Just very boring. Not good. Like I, Adam Driver really carried it for mo- for like the most part, but even still, like he can only do so much with dog shit. Yeah, it looked like mm-hmm. a bad movie. Yeah, I didn't. It never like considered me like ever to ever watch it. Like I was just like, I scroll past it. I'm like, oh. I actually thought it and Bombshell were the same movie when the trailers <laughs> both first came out. Yeah, I was like, so it's Adam Driver and these blonde ladies. Maybe it could be. <laughs> yeah, movie. I hate. I would watch that movie. Adam Driver and the woman. They should. Yeah. You know what they should have <laughs> <laughs> Doctor D and yeah. the woman. <laughs> you know they should have called Bombshell. Fucking <laughs> Roger Ailes and the woman. <laughs> I want to. I want to start. I'm, I want to start the Doctor T and the woman meme. You know, yeah. just get it, get it real popular again. Because <laughs> it's kind of hard to make Doctor T and the woman jokes when not Nobody's many people. seen it. Yeah, yeah. It's a. That's like. Um, from time to time, I you know sort things on letterbox lists that I have by the lowest rating. And uh, Doctor T and the women always surprises me. It's like a two point four or something like that. It's yeah. you know one of the lowest Altman rated ones, and I'm just like. Did we watch the same movie? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the poster. People see the poster and then they reverse engineered the movie yeah. through that lens. Um, the only film that was on all of our bottom lists was Booksmart. So I guess Ugh. Booksmart's the worst movie of the year for extended clip. And this is this is because of what Elizabeth Warren did to <laughs> Yeah, We know what you're doing. <laughs> all right. We all kind of like this movie actually, but once we once <laughs> yeah. once we heard once we heard what you did, this is our retaliation. <laughs> Um, anything else you want to shout out before we get into the list? I liked the uh, the first set piece of Six Underground. That was like some in, probably some of the most insane action I saw this year, other than Gemini Man and Domino. But we'll get to those. We'll get to those movies. Um, I guess I'll shout out uh, Ash's Pierced White, just because I I watched it in 2019, but I feel like it is a 2018 movie. But it would be very high on this list. I really I really like it. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, last year, or not last year, I just got confused looking at these dates because it's 2020 now, but I did watch it in 2018, and it's on my 2018 list. That, Hotel by the River, Black Mother, and uh, Long Day's Journey into Night, I have seen on a lot of 2019 lists, Mm -hmm. Uh, so I would like to tell those people that they're wrong. And (laughs) (laughs) No, I I just, you know, so if that counts as 2019, that would have been on this list, whatever, Mm -hmm. uh we don't really play with all the strict rules and regulations, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have one what could have been of twenty nineteen. One flick I really I haven't got around to yet, but it's like I think it's streaming on Hulu. It's The Mountain by Rick Alverson. Uh it has uh Jeff Goldblum, Ty Sheraton in it. Mm-hmm. Rick Alverson did the comedy, which I really fuck with a lot, and entertainment. Um and I think it's about 1950s mental institutions and i think goldblum is some uh guy who like fucks around with some lobotomies uh sounds like a real interesting time so sounds I, I good know. to me yeah. i also did not get to catch up with one that i was very much anticipating uh which was the new terrence malick film oh yeah the hidden lives <laughs> uh i didn't get to see it you know bad scheduling kind of on me just like 
not seeing it before. I don't know. I could have trekked into the city before I went away for the holidays, but I didn't feel like it. And then I came back to the wide release where it was playing once a day at a very inconvenient time for me. So I did not get to see uh, The Hidden Life. Uh, but I will watch it on a DVD or something like that in mm-hmm. the months coming. And, you know, maybe I'll slap it on a list retroactively. True. Yeah. Hey, these aren't finished yet. My lists are never finished, baby. Yeah, <laughs> nothing ever really dies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think it's good to give the promo to Pharrell now. Yeah. I think he needs it now more than ever. Um, Hidden Life, kind of a disappointment for me. I, mm-hmm. I'm a huge Malik fan. Wanted to like this more than anything. Did go at a 10.30 screening a little too fucked up. That, <laughs> that that I think that might have 10:30 p.m. 10:30 p.m. Yeah, I yeah. do go for the early bird quite a yeah, bit. I sh- yeah, I I think this would have been a good early birder to go to. Cause yeah, I mean three hours. I mean, people are talking about the Irishman. What about a hidden life jokes, right? But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just didn't con- never connected with me in a way that the his past movies, past three movies have. But it's I mean, he's still a great image maker, right? So you still have that no matter what. Yeah. Well, with that being said, I think we're going to get into our list. Uh, Malcolm, you want to start us off with uh, number 20, a mm-hmm. film that I was not as big on, but uh, your your placement on your list got it on here. Yeah. Um, Dolomite is my name. You know, I'm standing up for Netflix entertainment. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I guess Irishman is... Who knows if it's on this list? But, uh, <laughs> that's also Netflix. I there's a lot of things I like about this movie that maybe kind of override some of its maybe not obvious flaws, but flaws. Um, I mean, it's great to see Eddie Murphy back in a like a nice role, you know. And even when I say back too, it's like the last like four to six mo- four, four to six years of when he was working, those weren't great years either. He wasn't taking that. This is like one of his first good roles in a while. Um, and he was great in it. And I just like the, the, you know, the spirit of the independent filmmaker, the, you know, we've did the Ed Wood local legends episode, same screenwriters as Ed Wood wrote, you know, Dolomite is my name. And you, you know, you kind of, it's just, it's very inspiring in a way. And like his story just kind of, it put me in a good mood and like, it was just, uh, you know, sometimes I don't like this type of entertainment, but it was just pleasant, pleasant things happening to pleasant people. I had a nice time. Nice. I I did like a good amount of it. Mm-hmm. There were a few things that threw me off, and like the couple of scenes in Ed Wood that felt really screenwritery. Mm-hmm. I felt like that takes up a good thirty minutes of this one, mm-hmm. and I wish there was more of a directorial style that was more in line with Rudy Ray Moore mm-hmm. or like the genre that they're going. I mean, it is more of a personal story. It's not about the genre as a whole, since Moore was kind of an anomaly within the whole black exploitation thing. Um, I don't know. It just, it didn't fully wet my beak, <laughs> but I, I yeah. enjoyed a good amount of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, uh, Wesley, Wesley Snipes is fantastic in it. Yeah. He is great. Eddie Murphy gives one of the better performances of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I really wish I liked it more, honestly. Yeah. Hey, maybe, maybe you could rewatch it. And <laughs> try again. Uh, number 19 is going to be one that is from an old master. Uh, you know, Richard Brody called it the first late period film, uh, of Jim Jarmusch. It is the dead don't die his horror zombie, uh, comedy thing. And, uh, more than anything, it's a Jarmusch film more than a genre film. And it's one that people didn't really like. 
Uh, wh- why do you think people didn't like it, JT? Because they're fucking stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I could. I think it's a very like. I can see uh, why it would rub a lot of people uh, the wrong way, because it does have like a. I don't know. It's a very slow pace. It's like I. I don't know. I feel like I went into Dead Don't Die expecting something a lot different of what I was getting. Maybe more of like a genre send up of uh, zombie movies. But I mean, there is a little bit of that like in here and it's just like, I feel like the, the tongue in cheek sort of nature of the movie. Like I feel like it's an easy thing to like sort of misread Mm -hmm. or like, I I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean the tongue in cheek stuff, like some of the jokes are just are bad. Like there's like some bad jokes in it for sure. And that kind of, you know, you are kind of doing the work in your head for Jarmusch, or at least I am when I'm saying that that contributes to what I like about the film. But it, it's true, you know, it's a film that it's not, you know, by a dead guy yet. His style isn't totally dead. It's just like zombified. It's just he's an old man gripping on to these young movie stars that uh, or relatively young movie stars like Seven Yee and Adam Driver. And then someone like Bill Murray closer to his age who, you know, are still holding on to how, you know, cool he is as a director, but is really wearing off by now. Like, uh, you know, the the WPS van that RZA drives, it's not, you don't get a big kick of that out of that. You're just like, oh, I, okay. That's, yeah. that's a thing that he likes and thinks is cool. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, no, yeah. It's just, I'm chill with it. He, you can have that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's earned it, and he's just making sure we all know what he likes and how his films are supposed to look like. And, uh, you know, the action is pretty disgusting, honestly. Like, he, yeah. he shoots some pretty nice gore, some pretty gnarly uh, effects in this one. So I, I was quite a fan of this one, yeah. And I feel like as, like... A political response and like taking in like Jarmusch's perspective like it has sort of like and I think this is another thing that really rubbed people the wrong way it's kind of like an old man kind of nihilism where it's like oh man everything's fucked up now yeah. and like we're, we're <laughs> fucked but it's like I can I can really take that from Jarmusch like he presents it in a fun way yeah it's really good and um you know it takes the world ending as its starting point much like a film i mentioned on this podcast a while back 444 last day on earth you could all put these as like kind of climate movies as it is the kind of the thing that we wake up to every day knowing that uh the world is being destroyed and we live kind of in a semi hell already and i think jarmusch recognizing that shouldn't be frowned upon uh, I think nihilism sometimes is okay. Yeah, Jarmusch said, "Welcome to hell." Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I I I want to rewatch this or watch it, depending on. I'll let the viewers decide on this because I, <laughs> I I watched half of it late night, fell asleep, not because it was boring, because I was tired. It was late <laughs> night, um, and I didn't have the aching desire to you know give it a full run. But I mean, I don't know. You guys kind of laying it out for me. Maybe I'll check it out. Well, do you want to talk about uh, your number 18 selection? Yeah, uh, Mr. America, Tim Heidecker. We all love Tim Heidecker here. Oh, yeah. I'm sure if you're listening, it's high odds you're a fan of his work. Um, Just because he gets around. But, but, I mean, I'm not going to lie. This is definitely an extension of my on-cinema fandom, for sure. Definitely enhances the experience. 
But honestly, I just, you know, it was just classic Tim antics kind of like condensed in like this weird three day period where, you know, they said um, they said that they shot the movie in one and a half days. And it's like it's definitely felt like it definitely there's definitely kind of like a haphazard quality of the movie where it kind of almost feels thrown together. But uh, that kind of it kind of works for the material of like Tim just playing like a sloppy like doofus running for, you know, DA of San Bernardino. And that's also a part of what I like about it too. You know, we love talking about LA movies and LA landscapes. Well, welcome to San Bernardino. This is, this is a great movie exploring, you know, what, you know, a place that everyone finds wonderful. So, uh, yeah, I, it satisfied my needs. It's not the best, you know, maybe technical film in the world, but a lot of laughs and that's worth something. Yeah. No, I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. I wanted to catch up more on, on cinema before getting to it, but mm-hmm. those Oscar specials were just too daunting, honestly. Yeah. I've seen, I think, the first four of them. Uh, but, like, yeah, I just couldn't get myself to catch up with everything, and I yeah. wanted to be a completist. I think now I'll just check out Mr. America. Yeah, honestly, I might be a fake on cinema fan because I, I, I skip the Oscar specials when yeah. watching them in order. And but. I also want to watch The Trial, too. Yeah, I've I've watched that as well. It's amazing. Number 17 is another old master. Some more late style. Uh, Edward Said would be proud. Uh, Going to talk a little bit about Domino. This is uh, the Brian De Palma film that got dumped on VOD and uh, apparently was a terrible experience making the film. And De Palma was not happy with the film as it turned out. And you know what? On a basic like narrative level, sure, I get it. This mm. is somewhat of a failure. And uh, there's a lot of doing the not-so-good acting throughout it. But you know what? Brian De Palma is a rare master uh, craftsman of genre films. And there are three action set pieces in this that are just incredible and like just remind you that he's a master and there's not many filmmakers working at that level, especially going exactly for what he's doing. Uh, the centerpiece of this movie is a live stream um, shooting and like you get a split screen of the POV of the person wearing like the, the webcam strapped to their assault rifle and the other side is the reaction watching it and it's pretty much everything you want from De Palma at this point mm-hmm. like what else could you ask for f- but that set piece and then you get another one uh, with some drones being used for diegetic camera stuff and mm-hmm. it's just like yeah, he's just in his fucking playground going off. This is what a De Palma action set piece is in 2019, even if some of the narrative, you know, uh, shortcomings are very obvious. Uh, as an action film, I think it's fucking great. Yeah, I mean, it's to, you know, I didn't like it as much as you, but like just thinking it in this way, like who could have squeezed that out of the material like De Palma did? Like, oh, yeah. Most directors, even directors better than him, and there aren't many, but like probably couldn't do it. You know what I mean? Like oh, it's like, yeah. it's like, it's really impressive what he did with like, like shit Game of Thrones actors and like, a, <laughs> you know, a lofty script. <laughs> but like, yeah, those set pieces are like, they really do take you aback. And, you know, honestly, you know, maybe I'm just a fan of the podcast, but you guys are convincing me. I want to rewatch these movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just love listening to the yeah, podcast yeah, as dude. it's happening. Damn, my boys are so smart. <laughs> <laughs> I've been getting the live feed, you know. Yeah. And I've, been, yeah. I've been really digging what you guys yeah. have been putting yeah. out. As a fan of the podcast, it's great to be a member. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's uh, back to you, Malcolm, on number Ooh. 16. You know, we were talking about late style and... Um, I mean, I don't know if I want to call this late style, but Simon Lang's documentary, Your Face, is definitely 
him kind of distilling his style in something that's like, I don't know, he gets, you know, the label slow cinema is thrown around a lot when it comes to him, and deservedly so. Um, I mean, his movies are, you know, somewhat rigid and stuff like that. Well, your face, the concept of it is just 10 people. You get a nice shot of their face for about 10 minutes, and you're just looking straight at it. That's it, you know? And uh, honestly, it was it was just a good experience seeing the... I mean, it was in a crowded theater, too, which was, you know, heartening. And just seeing the, the crevices and creases of these old people's faces, you know, somewhat hypnotizing. You know, and maybe, you know, like you said with Jarmusch, maybe I'm doing some of the work for uh, Simon Lang. But honestly, I, I had a good time. And, like... The last person's Lee King Shang, which is like, you know, oh, it's nice. like, oh, like nice. oh, hell yeah, we're, we're home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that with a double feature with his 2009 movie, Face. And I like that he has a movie called Face and Your yeah. Face. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, let's, I hope he makes another narrative feature. We'll see. Um, another one that I, now these are two movies actually at 15 that I wasn't sure which one I wanted to put. Uh, because Malcolm and JT hadn't seen either one of them, and they're both very high on my year-end list. So real quick, I'm just going to shout out Martin Eden, because that comes out in March, I believe. Uh, So it'll be available wide. I went to a screening of it at the Arrow. Martin Eden is an incredible film, and if I count it as 2020, it'll definitely be on my 2020 best of list. Uh, Adaptation from uh, Jack London, and it just has like one of the most transformative lead performances I've seen in a long time. I uh, think there will be blood, but not like just fucking blowing it out of proportion in the last 20 minutes like that movie does. Uh, but that's only to speak of the the long term transformation of a character. You know, uh, on the whole, this movie is doing much different things than, you know, the PTA. Uh, and it's a really great kind of bleak look at a person's journey through politics and also like you know forming their opinions on things through both experience and reading and like meeting people and uh yeah it's a really incredible moving picture uh, when i say moving it's a very moving movie uh i wasn't expect i was like holding it at a distance for the first hour or so and then when i realized where the emotional arc was going and kind of how devastating of a movie it was it really all dawned on me and then my other one is relaxer the joel Petrikus, which mm-hmm. is out as it, it will ever be it's already on vod um yeah it's an improvement from buzzard he's just completely going off in his uh you know we're, we're not one of these dirtbag leftists, but uh, there was a great uh, Chapo Trap House about the, the hot couch nation is, uh, mm-hmm. is a riff from that show. And uh, this is the hot couch guy movie. Uh, this is that kind of distilled into Y2K paranoia and uh, ephemera of the time, such as Tony Hawk uh, on the N64. And there's like a guy playing Edward Forty Hands with Fago. And uh, mm-hmm. like the other particular patricus that i really loved buzzard it really gets into kind of the the depths of the of humanity that are present in just like a dude hanging out you know how really gross that is (laughs) uh and it's incredible and uh you should all go purchase it (laughs) (laughs) if you're listening oscilloscope labs and if you're not you should you know just you you could find it (laughs) no relaxer is definitely one i meant to check out before the year ended because it seemed like a slam dunk movie i'd enjoy um slight digression but have you guys ever tried fago yeah it's really good red I, fago red fago okay i had the blue fago it just tasted like it's straight like straight corn syrup like i was like, it's so <laughs> fucking sweet 
Um, apparently, they have way more flavors in the Midwest than they do here. Damn. I rarely see them out here. Rarely. I was listening to a podcast about soda. See, that's something about me. I'm something of a soda head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Compared to me, I'm a, wa- I'm a water head. <laughs> so the rest of the picks, this is kind of how we organize the list, are ones that at least two of us had on our best of the year list. Uh, and the top... Uh, four are movies that all of us had on our best of the year list. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're we're feeling the love more, and it's not individual choices, and we're passing the mic around. <laughs> <laughs> we're learning lessons of sharing and you know benevolence. Yeah. Um, do you guys want to give out some uh, some awards, some extended clip awards for best actors of the year? Our uh, we have our one. Yeah. That's our guy. Yeah. It, it is a guy. Yeah. And we'll talk about him later. <laughs> We're not afraid to say it. Yeah. Uh, but the other ones, I will say, Octavia Spencer in Ma. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Completely carried that movie. We're, we're, you know what? Spoiler. We're going to talk about Ma in just a second Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. But uh, one of the best performances of the year, right? Complete powerhouse. And so she sells some of the more ridiculous things that she's asked to do. Well, we like the Irishman boys. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Irishman I mean, boys. Pesci yeah. and Pacino in yeah. particular are absolutely killer in that movie. Mm-hmm. I mean... Maybe even talk about Oscar season, but I mean Brad Pitt once upon once upon a time in Hollywood. I mean, I mean Brad Astra as well, yeah, which yeah. we will get to. Uh, <laughs> both of those performances are pretty much as good as Brad Pitt's ever been. I mean, he's yeah. a little more pleasant in maybe Ocean's Twelve or something like that. But mm-hmm. even not, nah, I would say Hollywood's probably my the most pleasant Brad Pitt performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really fucked heavy with uh, Kathy Bates in uh, Richard Jewell. Yeah. Oh a my lot. god! Yeah, I mean, like it's one of those performances you're you've heard a lot about, and of course she has like the supporting actress Oscar nod for it. But like in I rewatched Richard Jewell last night, and just there's so many like because obviously there's like the big like emotional catharsis you get with her where she's like weeping and like pleading with the uh the media but there are so many other like really good little moments that she sells really well which is just like the relationship with richard in the beginning and just she like she does the sweet mom stuff so so perfect yeah when he's like laying down on his stomach on his bed when he like had the runs the (laughs) or he's gonna have the runs later that day right now he just has the shits i guess (laughs) uh but her just standing over the bed is just so great yeah Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, McConaughey for Beach Bum. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Which is kind of like, I feel like I haven't heard that kind of, or maybe that might be a lie, but like, it's a great, <laughs> it's a great performance and it's a little under-recognized because I feel like that's a movie kind of people felt either one way or another about like, yeah. Um, and also just maybe just a personal one because I don't know if everyone on the podcast would agree, but uh, Jonah Hill and Beach Bum, great performance. <laughs> <laughs> that I cannot uh, co-sign whatsoever. It's, uh, it's really funny. It's, it's I, a performance. It's so funny. It makes me, I roll laughing. I just, I, Southern voice. Just, yeah, no, know. I, I'm, the, I'm there for that. You know yeah. what? I thought it was terrible. And now that I think about it, I'd rather have that than Daniel Craig and Knives Out, that accent. Honestly, oh, I think Jonah Hill's is better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> better also, than Southern accent <laughs> yeah. list. Oh yeah. Armand White style better than only for actors. Accents. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We, speaking of the better than shout out, um, S. Craig Zoller's uh, puppet master movie, The Final Reich, The Littlest Reich, The Littlest Reich, better than uh, Jojo Rabbit, even though the, 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 the years don't add up, but we just, <laughs> it's something, it's a sense we'd like to say. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> also, Joshua Burge, who has been in also Buzzard by Joel Petrakis, but he really holds it down in Relaxer as well. Those films would not work without that guy at the helm. Number 14 on our list. We just talked about yeah. her. It's Ma herself. Welcome to Funky Town. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's a little podcast history there. Uh, mm-hmm. Malcolm and I met up at this movie for the first time. Mm-hmm. We actually just realized we'd been at other screenings at the same time before yeah, as sure. local cinema goers. Um, school days, I believe we were at the same screening school of. School days and Hotel by the River. Yeah, so, you know, misconnections. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this podcast starting really was, right? <laughs> I mean, Ma's amazing. It's uh, it's on my top ten list, my own personal one, and like it's, it's definitely my horror movie of the year. It's something I've thought about <laughs> since it was released. It's so funny it's so richly funny it's so it it nails like the teen dialogue down to a t where there's Mm -hmm. lines i could quote and quote and quote from that i i I don't even remember the exactly what is said but like just great uh use of like you know pussy or like uh, (laughs) like you know fuck off or something like that that you know in just great ways kind of playing with like these teen well the movie kind of operates you know where it's playing with stereotypes you have like the you know everyone in the teen group is like somewhat of like a stereotype Mm -hmm. person and then like the ma character is like a black mammy like archetype which is like all right looking at this director's history taylor directed the help so it's like i don't so like is this something he even realizes i'm not sure (laughs) honestly it's complete uh termite art you know and the author isn't even aware of it being art whatsoever I and think that's, uh, yeah. he's a complete hack, and this is him making a hack movie. He's made movies that he thought were art, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. This one he thinks is hack work, mm-hmm. and he's just trying to get that Blumhouse cash or whatever. Yeah, this is by. I haven't seen his other movies. This is by far his best. Mm-hmm. Like it has yeah. to be, <laughs> uh, because the elements just don't add up. But there's so much going on here. It's just a plus level fucking uh awful teen dialogue that mm-hmm. you would get in like a Corman level like 70s uh, teen movie. Mm-hmm. And it's just relentlessly funny, and the budget helps honestly because you can get needle drops of fucking yeah, kung yeah. Fu fighting and funky town, <laughs> which is like I, I I when I talk about this movie too, I like I feel like the soundtrack is just as like it's in on like the stereotype, oh for like, sure, irony and like yeah, I think what you said like termite art, author not aware. I think yeah, it's just like a perfect storm yeah. of things coming together that just make it great and endlessly rewatchable i've rewatched it since and i love it i love it so much i i mean honestly like i'm talking myself into like even more where i put it on the list but like it's it's something like i feel like i really need to champion because like mm-hmm. it's it's something that ha- really did get no oh people love. i mean like yeah. people shit all over my oh life. yeah and i like i re i watched it uh during our break because mm. i uh, i was missing my boys yeah. and i wanted to, <laughs> i wanted to find a film that i knew i w- i would like i would share your love and championing yeah. of and i knew uh, of the of the extended clip maw history <laughs> um and it just like it fucking rules in that respect of just being like so like wild and zany and just like there's so much like I feel like with horror this year, I mean, maybe it's just like only going off of like Midsummer. Yeah. Uh, but like prestige horror is so like in vogue that you don't see this kind of stuff yeah. as much anymore where they like lean heavy into all like the great like cheesy bullshit mm-hmm. about the mm-hmm. genre. 
and there's also many have pointed out a fantastic split diopter shot <laughs> where yeah. she's listening to the kids from behind the dumpster and the split mm-hmm. diopter like the the depth of field makes it look like she has supersonic hearing honestly because they're <laughs> yeah. so far away <laughs> and also like she you know is getting into their true digital lives she's fucking facetime bombarding them yeah like that is honestly like a big fear is like getting bombarded with calls and texts true. and you know i have facetime turned off like no one can facetime call me uh thank god if yeah. people could i would be living in fear 24 7 and uh there's a great bit on the kids instagram because she of course gets into their social media one of the teens his instagram bio is i only follow back if i know you which is (laughs) what attention to detail yeah (laughs) yeah also yeah it's like compared to the prestige you know horror which is just joyless just like you know yeah absolutely like you know wants wants you to suffer (laughs) they want you they want you in a fucking ditch when you're watching that (laughs) all right and like Something like Ma is still like occasionally like attempts transgression in a way that's like it's more wild and kind of comes off maybe more funny at times, but it's just like it's still going for it. No, there's, there's yeah, like yeah. some really crazy shit, like yeah. with the uh, with Ma like locking her like actual daughter yeah. up, yeah. like the attraction she has to the young boy too. Like it's yeah. really fucked up. Yeah, like, yeah it's crazy. You could say that the the way that the film paints her background is like insensitive to like trauma and stuff yeah. like that, but it is kind of a fucking sleazy horror movie. Yeah, uh, like you know you can play fast and loose with that kind of stuff when you're operating in that level. I feel like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It's not an excuse for it or anything like that. It's just like different. You're not going to make it a didactic thing about like trauma or whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, you can't, I don't know. I feel like people like to pick and choose which horror movies they excuse for that kind of stuff. Totally. And which ones are praised for that kind of stuff, you know? And yeah, and like something, all right, like maybe like Ma's, like maybe not refusal, but like maybe somewhat insensitive handling of that subject matter is something that's way more palatable to me than like, I guess we're just doing better than Midsummer. but then like, like, (laughs) I was thinking it. Yeah. But then Uh like, then like, I don't know, like Midsummer's attempt of like breaking down like relationship patterns and like stuff like that, which is like, is, is, is like way less way less subtle than like stuff that goes on in ma which is like an over-the-top like campy horror movie yeah exactly and we just don't get good ones of those like there's dtv Mm -hmm. uh schlock and but so much of it is too self-aware you know this is not self-aware of how fucking lowbrow it is i think i think maybe that's that's the key there's not a hint of self-awareness and it just feels great like people are shitting on it so hard it even made the reverse shot offenses uh, which is like the you know for those not in the know reverse shot a great blog you know mm-hmm. and every year they do the the worst kind of films of the year or they you know categorize it differently but uh they didn't do it in full this year which was strange and it's just like you didn't even do the full thing and you somehow made room to shit on ma it's like, yeah come mo- on man. Mo- yeah a movie that no one's championing really besides Nobody's us yeah. besides, uh, us. besides we're only, us we're the only people brave enough to do it Another movie that people have kind of turned uh, the tides on. I don't think that's. (laughs) (laughs) Are they they gone? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, our number 13 is Claire Denis' High Life. Uh, And that's one that people don't seem so hot on anymore, do they? I think the discourse jumbled it up. I think the discourse got people confused and, you know, like reinterpret the message of the movie into something it really wasn't. 
High Life is pretty high on my list. It's like number four uh, for me. And like it was, I think, part of like the mix of like there was that big uh, Claire Denis retrospective and just like really um, last year diving into her work for the first time. And like just, I mean, hearing all the like festival hype around it and of course the like uh, come machine. Yeah. And just like that whole thing where it's like, yeah, I get it. Like that's whatever like shocking part about it. But I feel like highlighting that moment really just like misses how like detached and bleak and again like i think to relate to uh dead don't die it's like a similarly like um pessimistic uh visioning of the future that like even though i haven't seen it uh since like its initial release i definitely still feel very strongly about it Mm -hmm. and it has like a great like style like look to it of like the cold kind of like the the hues of like light that you see in like you know buildings and stuff like that and i don't know yeah i just i remember enjoying it for what it was and you know kind of its unrelentlessness and its you know presentation and stuff like that and you know i didn't i don't think i liked it maybe as much as jt but it's like it's still quality stuff still better than most of the stuff that came out this year yeah exactly like as far as claire denis films go it's not one of my favorites i think i talked about this a few Mm -hmm. weeks ago where it's like it was one of my favorites of the year when it came out. It's kind of fallen off for me a little, but only because like I've, you know, maybe watched another couple of Denis films since and mm-hmm. thought a little bit about where I place it in her filmography. Yeah. Um, but it's a really good to great movie, you know, like it's, I don't know. I think it really is people getting a bit carried away with how they talked about it. And mm-hmm. then, people hearing that and then watching what the movie is and mm-hmm. how it portrays sexuality and how it's not a sexy movie, yeah. you know, uh, and how it's actually like a disturbing movie on yeah. that front. Uh, they didn't know quite what to do with it. And it's just like, I get that honestly, because mm-hmm. if you watch that movie and then you go on letterboxd in the first, uh, you know, top review is Juliet Binoche holder of cum or whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I would be salty. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah. But I, I can thankfully look past it and say that I uh, quite enjoyed it. Yeah, and I want to do another uh, Armin White style better <laughs> than in terms of Robert Pattinson performances Ooh. of this year. Uh, High Life leagues better than uh, The Lighthouse. Yeah. I mean, I even really like The Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And but like. I feel like a lot of the hype around uh, the Defoe and uh, Pattinson performances, I mean, they're good, but I think there's a lot more for him to work with in High Life, um, especially because so much of it is just like him alone uh, mm-hmm. with uh, the daughter. Yeah. Number 12, speaking of High, is High mm-hmm. Flying Bird, the uh, one Whoa. of two Steven Soderbergh films uh-huh. from this year. What's the other one? I don't remember. It. Oh, boy. It? <laughs> uh, bottom five contender, The yeah. Laundromat, yeah. Uh, which was terrible. But High Flying Bird was his great film from this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, a February release, if I recall correctly, straight yeah. to Netflix. One of his uh, iPhone films. I guess this completes the iPhone trilogy yeah. uh, between um, Unsane and uh mosaic i yeah. guess uh which was i think mainly iphone stuff yeah um but high flying bird uh also shot on an iphone and i feel like it uses the mobile approach differently unsane kind of flattened the image and uh just like was using it for 
not just mobility really it was really to get that uneasiness of mm-hmm. the texture of it this one really is from a mobility standpoint uh just an astonishing movie like where soderbergh is putting the camera and it doesn't feel show-offy and then you kind of think about how we had to lay out certain scenes yeah. with the blocking of the actors and the camera and you're just reminded that he's an incredible director mm-hmm. um it's a great basketball movie that doesn't really have any basketball at all. Uh, there's some basketball on TV at one point and Andre Holland dribbles a ball once. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, it's uh, it's about the game on top of the game, as they say in the film. And uh, it's about it's a it's a labor movie. You know, people yeah. love talking about that. <laughs> uh, it's about contract negotiations and it's uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I think I mean, a lot of the reasons you listen or the reasons I like it. I mean, the topic, you know, even is just something that's really interesting to me. Like, you know, something I'd want to know, even if they didn't make a movie about it. And like, yeah, some of the framing with the iPhone is just like, it's just like, it would take me aback just like certain shots. I was just like, like God, like God fucking damn it. Like, yeah. you know, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's really something about it. And like, you know, I think I said the, the term new images or images, before, but it's just like, I, I've heard people, I've had to defend this movie. People are like, well, why is he shooting it on the iPhone? And it's just yeah. like, I mean, there's probably other reasons, but it looks fucking different. Yeah. It looks fucking different. No, there's new yeah. images. Yeah, new yeah. images. So You're just going for new stuff. There you was know? there was one shot where it's like the like it's a really like it's a two shot and like the buildings are kind of like um almost like bordering mm-hmm. the two characters. I forgot which name, but it was just like like uh just it was such strange framing, but it, it worked. Yeah. And there's that scene where he's in uh in the sh- he's having a schwitz uh he's yeah. in the sauna and that like has this huge like red hue over it mm-hmm. and just Soderbergh working with like gelled lights and stuff is just always a delight you mm-hmm. know uh and I hope he comes back with a good ass one next year to make up for the laundromat yeah <laughs> you could do two a year but you mess up on one you're gonna have to pay pay so up messing up <laughs> uh number 11's one I didn't get to see but you guys both quite liked. Oh yeah, Dark Waters. I think I, I'm pretty certain I talked about it on the podcast, like or shortly, pretty yeah. shortly yeah. after I had seen it. Um, but it really holds up like strong for me. I like it's one of those ones that I feel like everyone who saw it and like had positive reviews about it was like um, Todd Haynes uh, did a lot with what could have been like a very conventional uh, thriller, and like in a lot of ways it still is. But I think because uh Haynes is working with it um there's a lot more depth and the main thing I really love is Ruffalo's character sort of coming to some sort of sense of like class consciousness Mm -hmm. and also like um his place in uh the system and realizing like how I mean obviously like it's a him realizing it's like shit's fucked up Mm -hmm. But I think it's interesting the way it goes about it because he's like uh, defending like a poor farmer at first and he sort of learns his like uh, just like how the pollution impacts the two of them differently and how he's like putting a lot into the case. But material conditions, they're not like the same and they're like separate in that regard. Yeah, I mean. And like the way the movie ends is like he becomes a public public servant basically like just uh just you know endlessly dedicating you know to that to that case, 
Um, I think the cinematography is some of the best of the year too. With Ed Lockman, like these West Virginia landscapes are, you know, they're kind of stunning at times. And um, yeah, I I think he pretty much said it all. But uh, yeah, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I realized we talked more uh, than we planned on even talking about for the last like. 10 movies now that we're halfway through uh mm-hmm. we might pick up the pace a little maybe we won't maybe yeah. it'll just be a long episode i mean you know it's list list episodes you know you could get a little justification there you know? yeah um number 10 is one that i loved and a lot of people uh were a little cold on it it has its fans for mm-hmm. sure but ad astra uh from james gray coming off of the long the long city of Z <laughs> coming <laughs> off of Long Island City Queen coming <laughs> off <laughs> coming off the last letter of the alphabet. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a lot of people talking about you know studio interference on Ad Astra mm-hmm. and the voiceover being you know added on to, and then it turns out through like the commentary, he was in charge of the voiceover. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Like, holy, I like the voiceover. Me too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, we all loved this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was great. Brad Pitt goes to space uh, to track down his daddy. <laughs> and uh, that's another thing I saw people say, like, uh, you know, nice, like, uh, daddy issues, like, basic therapy, bitch. Criticism doesn't even make sense. It, like, literally, like, it's like, I could take, you know, I could take any, oh, it's like, oh, little woman, oh, what? Oh yeah, what they're they're dating boys? Who cares? That's so fucking stupid. It's just like you could literally oh, high flying bird. Oh, they're talking about basketball. You know, it's just like, they're not I'm, even playing. They're not it. even playing. It's just like find find the correct way to dislike a movie. Because <laughs> some, some people do it in pretty poor ways. Yeah, we do it right though. Oh, <laughs> that's why we have a pod. We got the following, man. That's, that's why we got it all. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's a really meditative film that also has a couple of action set pieces very, very cleverly placed at the mm-hmm. right points of the runtime to keep you, you know, uh, entranced for like 20 minute segments and mm-hmm. then it feels like a genre movie again and then it feels like a slow meditative movie mm-hmm. and I really love that push and pull and it's like at the heart of every James Gray film I've seen and I don't see what the big deal is here with the haters. Like, <laughs> honestly, I see so many pans yeah. on this movie from people that I follow on Letterboxd who also regard other James Gray highly. And it's just like, I don't see it. Also, like, what a strange, like, m- like movie it is, like, for, like, its budget. And yeah. it's like, it holds a strange place, like, in, like, American releases this year. It's kind of, like, almost like an anomaly where it's like, yeah, it's a like this big budget space movie about, like, just Brad Pitt being really sad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. Like, it's, it, I don't know. It's like, I don't know why peop- more people aren't attracted to that concept. Yeah. And this is another thing that I feel like upon its release, I feel like would have like, I felt like there was some overlap where it would have some like award season play sure, for yeah. sure. Because it's a lot of like Brad Pitt, like look at like look, looking real introspective and sad. Yeah. And it's like they should eat that shit up. Yeah, he is really good at looking sad in this movie, mm-hmm. and you get a lot of really expressive close-ups where you get the reflection of the the glass in his astronaut helmet, which is a lot of times just pitch black, mm-hmm. and I love when Gray decides to get flashy with it, and when he decides to just be like, yeah, space is just blackness, and it's yeah. just nothing. <laughs> I, I love that, and like the complete 
emptiness of some of the soundtrack versus when there's voiceover and you know how like sparse he's able to be in the sound design especially there's like a a a chase like shootout with like a laser pistol (laughs) like star wars shit in the first 45 minutes of this on the crater on like over the craters of the moon you know it's beautiful and the sound design and that action set piece is incredible yeah there's a fucking like space monster yes yeah about a freak baboon oh yeah (laughs) that baboon scene is great yeah i mean that's that's what's really good about this movie it really allows itself to operate in a lot of different modes like a lot of ways it's very subtle but it's also like very explicit in a lot of different ways oh yeah i don't know just the mixing mixing of tone like it kind of keeps a consistent tone but like you said the action kind of you know keeps it keeps it interesting and i think that moonraker chase sequence where you have the contrast of high action with like brad pitt being like why am i even fucking out here (laughs) this is is pointless is like genius it's one that's that's a scene i should have shouted out for scene of the year it's definitely one of my favorite scenes of the year um yeah god pitt what a great year for pitt yeah um jt our number nine is uh one of your faves of the year yeah it's my number three uh it's her smell um i think i've talked about alex ross perry before i'm a big fan of his flicks um and in this one i feel like he's doing uh something like very different from his other work and i feel like this is the first like really empathetic like character we see from him Mm -hmm. And, like, it's a lot less cynical in a really refreshing way. And just the filmmaking is spectacular. Just, like, how they, like... It's, like, five acts that are all, like, one, like, 20, 20, 30-minute scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, in the career of, like, Elizabeth Moss as... Do you... What's her name in this? She something... I don't know. Becky something is Be- literally Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Such a dumb... When I heard that, I was like, oh, I'm not gonna like this movie. And but, I loved it. But, like, in that mix, like, Moss is fantastic. There's just so much of, like, her... Because the movie takes place in the 90s, and just, like, when she's, like, in frantic like drug addled rate like fits and she's just spouting like jim carrey movie references (laughs) and just going like a mile a minute it's like it and like the way it shot is like i've definitely been in those like rooms where it's like someone is having like a mental breakdown style on drugs and you're just like in enthralled with whatever there is they're like (laughs) spouting on um but it was great. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I love the way that each of these acts builds and the sound design getting more and more layered as you go and her just complete mental breakdowns just like so, uh, you know, a lot of people say this about the Safties. It's like they coined the term anxiety as it relates to cinema. Right. Uh, but this is a quite anxiety-inducing movie. Uh, I didn't see it at AFI, and I almost did last year when I saw, like, Ashes Purest White. Mm-hmm. It fucking tracking all over these backstage areas. And then the camera obviously slows down, and the, the sound design gets more sparse as the last two acts are more of her redemption. And I can't believe that Alex Ross Perry actually made someone redeemable in his movies because... I came around on him this year, but it's still, he writes pieces of shit and it seems like it's because he is one. Yeah. Uh, but he was able to really give a full, a full bodied arc to Elizabeth Moss 
uh, and she pulls it off in a way that I don't think many other actors really could. It, it really relies on her powerhouse performance. Oh, and I on top of that, I just wanted to shout out the tunes in this. That, oh, yeah, uh, quite good. Were written for it, and like the score is really good as well. Um, when I saw it, um, uh, Alex Ross Perry spoke along with the composer, and they were saying that for the score, they avoided like traditional like rock like mm-hmm. instruments and so they have like more of that sort of like noise effect yeah. and i think that definitely like amps up the anxiety of it all and it also is a nice contrast for the rock music itself yeah, yeah. number eight is a film that we did talk about already uh on previous episodes it's one that the nation of moviegoers failed us yeah. with this one uh, as did the critical, the social climbing critical class. <laughs> uh, Who would have thought that they would fail us yet again? But here we are. Especially a film by Ang Lee. Yeah. Uh, starring Will Smith, everyone's favorite. It's Gemini Man, and it's number eight on our list. And I hope you got to see it in a high frame rate presentation. It seems like the studio really wants the the proper version of this movie not to exist. Uh, I I guess they're putting out Blu-rays now, and they're putting out some 60 FPS Blu-rays for 4K, or not Blu-rays, but 4K discs, but not 120, you know? Damn. And it's like Damn. they, there were places that were equipped to show it, but instead they did like one theater in LA and a couple in New York, and it's just like, what's the deal? What's going on here? Another great film, fucking Shafted. Absolutely. This one was one I was definitely big into spreading the gospel on when like it was out because it's just like you like you you go and see it and it's like a fantastic masterpiece that, you know, like people aren't like it's going to be hard to have the opportunity to see this in the theater again. True. Um, And just like I was frantically telling people to go see it while they can because it wasn't around for too long especially in high frame rate like yeah. they they mm-hmm. dropped that pretty quickly um i think that the high frame rate obviously works for action but i think ang lee people overlooked how well he used it on a scene to scene basis you know mm-hmm. the way that you can see the little wrinkles in people's faces and how much more expressive their faces become in this high frame rate um you know, Ang Lee takes full advantage of that. And Will Smith is such an expressive and charismatic actor. And he brings his all to this to play his younger self and himself in the modern age. And um, yeah, it's just fantastic. And the action is like as good as anything. That motorcycle chase. Uh, God, bring back the dirt bikes to the <laughs> cinema, man. I need the X Games fuel. Yeah. And like the catacomb scene or whatever stands out to me, too. And there's something kind of like about this movie. It's like a screenplay that's been sitting since the 90s starring like Will Smith, who's seems like his, you know, his his he's reached his apex at this point. And like, you know, it's, a, you know, a, a high budget, you know, action movie that, you know, somewhat competes with like the superhero movies that are released. And like, you know, maybe kind of somewhat in like the spirit of like Ma, it's, it's kind of like almost you know maybe not going against it but it's like an alternative to it in a sense where it's like you you have um you know will kind of you know dealing with his younger self and stuff like that you know he's kind of past his glory and kind of you know maybe sticking it you know to you know disney stuff like that i mean it's just like i mean this is genuine like experimentation on a like 
like a wide release level. You know, it's like you don't see something like this often. This yeah. is like if the Goodbye to Language 3D got a mass release. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's kind of impressive. And people wouldn't watch that either. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's not on our list? The image book. Oh, it's true. Uh, my least favorite, like, late Godard I've seen, honestly. I mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not seeing something in it that other people are, but I felt like it wasn't quite worth like the intellectual homework you have to do for it and Mm -hmm. like the surface level reading of it came out really flat for me and like it was pleasurable enough to watch but give me goodbye to language you know i didn't see it just because yeah sometimes i'm intimidated by the homework i have to do um i really loved it but i wouldn't like i felt like when i saw it isn't it like technically 2018 it could kind of it's on the border I, i it's good it's just like yeah i just didn't want to like uh, I mean, w- it's been like months since I've seen that it, too. and also like talking about it, it would be very difficult. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the Twitter yeah. conversation around that movie, uh, suffice to say, was enough to say it's a difficult one to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, number seven, one that I was kind of cold on, but Malcolm was burning hot on yeah. this one. <sighs> And something, you know, I'm really surprised this didn't end up being my favorite movie of the year, but, you know, that'll be revealed later. But uh, Beach Bomb was a personal favorite for me. And, like, kind of, I didn't, you know, I I watched this movie about seven times this year. (laughs) It's a lot of times. Um, And not until I stopped watching it (laughs) did I kind of realize exactly what I feel like makes it great. And, like, um, I don't know. And maybe, I think maybe willing, maybe part of this movie is willing to buy into the euphoria Karina selling. And I could see why people might not want to buy into it, but I mean, I did, I definitely did. But at the same time, as pleasant as a movie is, this still is kind of has like the Korean nastiness to it where it's like a guy who, you know, fucks up and like, you know, is, you know, basically makes shit poetry, but he still wins everything, gets everything he wants, burns all the money at the end, has a scene of him and Efron mugging a, uh, the guy on a wheelchair stealing his money and then <laughs> them running away you know yelling it's like it's all good because we're christian and stuff like that <laughs> it's like i don't know what people want from kareen maybe they don't like him but it's like this is definitely like uh i mean this is a pro- progression of the style he laid forward in spring breakers even like cinematography wise um i don't know if yeah. i would say that yeah. honestly yeah. like i i think it's similar to the style yeah. he had in spring breakers but i think the cutting in spring breakers was so far ahead of this yeah. one I think maybe I just like it was too just like straightforward and linear almost yeah. in like that how he edited the story together. Mm-hmm. I thought the Spring Breakers editing was like so fucking next level. Yeah. And then he kind of reeled it in for this one. Cinematography, I don't know. I'd have to look at it again. I feel yeah. like I I got unlucky and had a pretty dim DCP yeah. honestly because uh, it didn't look that vibrant despite it looking clearly like you know a lot of neon and shit mm-hmm. it didn't feel as vibrant as something like spring breakers but mm-hmm. i did like it um the general ramifications of it have stuck with me like i like yeah. how bitter it is yeah. despite it being such a good time yeah and uh yeah you know i'm gonna give it another watch why can't we have a good time that's <laughs> you know we why don't we have we could have good times that are also bad, ethically bad to have, too. I think that's what I like about that. Yeah. Movie. I want to speak on Beach Bum because I also am in the Malcolm camp of really loving it. Mm-hmm. This is a movie I definitely could watch seven times. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> if I uh, 
like d- didn't catch it so late in the game, I feel like I definitely would have hit it with a rewatch and I really want to soon. And I think like a lot of what you touched on is like obviously things I really love about it, but just sort of in like that weird mix of like uh, bitterness and euphoria you get from Moondog's character. I just love the like depiction of like such an anti like capitalist alternative in Moondog's like extreme like counter productivity (laughs) and and just like laziness it's like it's like a beautiful like lifestyle that's so contradict and just like so like i mean obviously like there's an element of like privilege that like very much so plays into it but i think uh he, he like harmony's very aware of that like as he's making this um so just like him burning all the money at the end is so beautiful and works on such a great like act of rebellion to me for against like the entire system and like trying to like find meaning in any of it and uh that has definitely really stuck with me uh since i've seen it also great soundtrack two, oh for sure two cure songs <laughs> <laughs> i do agree with the soundtrack that was great um lightfoot is that all, is <laughs> peggy lee oh i mean is that all there is yeah the man damn Let's not get into it. Let's I guess I got to watch deep. it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, number six, something a little good hearted before we get to the most bitter film on our list. Uh, <laughs> Malcolm and I's problematic fave. We'll yeah, get to it. Yeah. Uh, but number six is Little Women. Yeah. Uh, the Greta Gerwig film. And Did not expect to see this one place so high, to be honest, until I watched it. We're two rough-necked, hard-boiled film watchers. <laughs> we love movies about guys being bad, being racist, <laughs> being sexist. <laughs> We get off on that type of stuff. But Little Woman was an absolute delight. It was amazing. And, like, I mean, honestly, like, you like editing is, like, so next level. Like, the oh formalism of this movie, like, yeah. just really is what taps it in for me and really allowed me to enjoy it on levels that, like, I don't know. Like, I, like, I think... I knew Gerwig was good, but like this is definitely like a step up from Lady Bird. It's just, yeah. like, that she has such a tight hold on this movie that Oh, my like, God. Yeah, it's like it's I want to rewatch it again. I feel like it's going to go up higher in my estimations. Yeah, all the compositions are so like it's not even that like painstakingly detail orientated Mm -hmm. because she's still loose with it somehow. Mm -hmm. Like there's that shot where it pulls back on now i'm not a story person so i don't remember these girls names already (laughs) i remember (laughs) the two i remember two of the characters names but the one who plays piano and dies (laughs) (laughs) Uh, her playing the piano and it pulls back and you see chris cooper on the stairs listening and it almost feels a little too perfect like a kubrickian you know um kind of thing of splitting the screen in half but then it kind of just gives these playful pans to the right and the left Mm -hmm. to see him listening without zooming in or anything uh to see him listening back to her playing and then the scene where you see it in the trailer uh where uh there's a dance between uh timothy mm-hmm. chalamet and Shersha ronan yeah. and they're dancing outside of this ball and it's so beautiful it like honestly had the warmth of a classic hollywood musical mm-hmm. moment yeah. you know and she's so attuned to that classical style of filmmaking like 
it's it's not what you think of when you watch this or ladybird you don't think of 40s 50s movies but like honestly the blocking is nearly there uh if not there (laughs) and the editing is like fucking next level from uh you know within the scenes they're all cut together so perfectly but also the way the the notes on which each segment ends before it cuts to a different point in the timeline Oh my god, just so many great like match cuts and just more like intellectual match cuts where you just think about the two images and you're like, "Oh yeah, there's a thematic relationship." But I was just watching, you know. It mm-hmm. just took me a f- second to put together the combination of the two images for a meaning. And then you realize, "Oh yeah, that's like the key to cinema kind of." <laughs> and Gerling kind of has a really fucking good handle on it. So, shout out Greta. Yeah, the way like it's it's great because like the editing like um, uh, informs you emotionally and is kind of like your guide mm-hmm. in that sense throughout that part of the movie and like the performances are all really good too out of like I've always thought Saoirse Ronan was a good actress I mean same with Florence Pugh even though her big performance is Midsommar I'm not a fan but she's mm-hmm. definitely not why that's bad I mean but Chalamet who I've kind of publicly trashed a little bit it's like undeniably great in this movie mm-hmm. he's you know he's hitting he's hitting notes where you know he's playing like a lothario type character mm-hmm. where it's like yeah you could see him play that type of role but it, i don't know he he has that classic hollywood feeling we love classic hollywood yeah. we were just talking yeah, yeah. about it we're gonna we're gonna get back on some classic hollywood i've been catching up on films from this year and i've been cutting them with classic hollywood you know you do one 2019 film then you do a john ford then you go back to 2018 then you do a howard hawks you know yes. it's a it's a clean diet that's how you can lose a lot of weight <laughs> intellectually, the dead weight in your head. <laughs> so uh, on to our most hateful film of the year. Number five, <laughs> as Craig Zahler's dragged across concrete. Oh. Boom. Yes, it did happen. Me and Malcolm both had this film pretty high on our lists. JT, you didn't get around to seeing this one. No, I definitely like, I don't know much about it. Um, but I'm curious, you, you guys are going to sell me on it. I know. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I warmed up to this one a little more on a rewatch. Um, but this is about two, uh, racist cops who stepped over the line and got, you know, filmed doing it on a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, every cop's worst nightmare. You're just doing your job and, yeah. someone, <laughs> and someone's recording you. Yeah. Um, so Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn are, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> perfectly cast <laughs> as a uh, Vince Vaughn is an Italian racist cop yeah, yeah. and uh, Mel Gibson as a uh, you know middle American all American yeah. you know uh, middle class middle everything um, American racist <laughs> true, true Americana Americana yeah. on display Gibson is Americana on display in this movie and it's I I mean I was I was kind of hesitant but it is one of the great performances of the year. Oh, he um, is up there. He's up there and it's it's very like with movies like this it's like it's a performance you might not even expect if you watch the trailer cuz it's so calm and measured and Oh like, my god. kind of like chilling at points with just kind of like his dead-eyedness and like yeah. you know, it's just um yeah, and like I mean, Zoller has his fucking hateful <laughs> prints yeah. all over this movie. <laughs> well, it is kind of the the John Woo style setup of you yeah. have your two stories. You have the cops and the criminals, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And so those that's one half of the story. The other half is Tory Kittles uh, as someone just getting out of jail, and he got out of jail because he. Uh, beat up the guy who put his brother in a wheelchair, you know, or he killed the guy who yeah. put his brother in a wheelchair, rather. And he's going through a hard time, too. 
his brother is much younger and he just wants to you know help his brother have a good life despite his disability and mel gibson also a disabled wife but it's not like there's a fucking oscar bait scene where you know they see each other's mom and wife and they're like oh we have something in common (laughs) (laughs) and that's i mean the conclusion of the film is like it oh it's it's not beautiful it's it's beautiful (laughs) and it's like it's it 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 doesn't it takes the hard it, this movie takes the hard way out yeah on every single position it takes oh my god and yeah. like and that's what kind of makes it oh not maybe you know some of the scenes are, it justifies some stuff that yeah in some other movies it could be placed very poorly but it's like this is a very meticulous like crafted movie from oh you know god. the long ass takes to just like and the long mis- shots too yeah. characters are held at such a distance yeah. so often uh-huh. you know that the sh- the close-ups are fucking shocking when they yeah. come and like just it's it's uh it also has the willingness to do whatever it wants which yeah. i really respect in a movie where if it's you know it's something like a lighter touch like the vince vaughn sandwich scene oh, or, yeah. where he's just <laughs> chomping on a sandwich chowing it down (laughs) just so meticulously like his the way he eats the sandwich and mel gibson saying that you know i've been smelling that for the last 45 minutes you know uh a perfect encapsulation of the way this movie moves you know just ice cold slow as a glacier uh everything is given so much weight it's like twin peaks the return at its slowest you know it's very similar actually in style i'm pretty sure people said that when this came out but maybe not dude i feel like that you could you could take that one to the bank (laughs) (laughs) i'll take it to the take bank (laughs) (laughs) but uh also don johnson from miami vice uh plays their boss who fire or suspends them uh once their viral video surfaces also probably the only good film to use going viral yeah. as a plot line and pa- passion <laughs> by the palma oh okay goes. i haven't seen yeah it. Okay. but uh, um yeah and that scene because also don johnson is that the only scene he's in in the movie yeah that scene in particular <laughs> it's, so good. it's so long it's, it's so long and it like you kind of get the blueprint of the movie yeah. in that whole scene where it starts out with vaughn and gibson and don johnson kind of lamenting oh the state of like being a police officer these days it's so hard it's like Oh yeah, you know they're mad at us for calling him a slur. He was selling drugs to children. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> Conservative rhetoric, straight up. Yeah, and then um, Johnson and Gibson, who are more of the same age, and Vaughn, who's a little younger. Yeah, they, well, they're former partners. Former partners who are former partners within the movie. Um, you know, you know, suspends them, but he's like Gibson. You know, let's talk afterwards. And then he's just like. You know, so you're getting to Gibson. Johnson said, "Like you're getting pretty hateful out there. Like, yeah. I, I see, like, I see, I see what's happening to you, and you're like you're turning into a machine." Yeah, he's and like, "You didn't used to be like that. You didn't used to be like this." And it's like he was basically, it's like, like we were supposed to come up together. Yeah, and you're still down there because and of how you act. It kind of introduces the idea that this is not a racism movie. This is a class movie. Yeah. And it's about the complacency that you get when you're at a fucking dead end career job, you Mm -hmm. know, and that you're not going to move up and that there's all these outward forces in your life that you think are out to get you, but they're just there. And the only thing actually out to get you is fucking capitalism, obviously, but also and the police. And that's what makes it fucking harder is that he's one of them, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's, it kind of makes it doubly impossible for him to make this realization. So what Mm -hmm. they do is they take a little undercover off duty spec work, a little vigilante justice Batman style. 
This is the anti-Batman movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it shows you that being Batman doesn't pay. <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 uh. Uh, and so they follow Tori Kittles. Uh, and, you know, Tori Kittles is just the driver on this job uh, by these, like, crazy European, seemingly white supremacist yeah. uh, guys who hire black criminals and make them put on white face to do crime with them. Uh, and, like, so menacing. The guy who runs this little tiny little crime van uh he's mm. introduced shooting up a liquor store in the most menacing but funny way possible yeah. kind of and uh so the next like there's like an hour of vaughn and gibson on a stakeout waiting for them to start robbing a bank basically they think mm-hmm. it's going to be a drug deal they don't know it's gonna be a bank robbery you get god fred melamed uh oh. cy abelman from a serious man <laughs> as the banker and <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> which in a- is just i mean craig Zoller's Jewish. We should say yeah. that he. I, that doesn't mean you're allowed to do things that people could perceive as anti-Semitism, but you have to at least acknowledge yeah. where it's coming from. You and know, like as far as anti-Semitism goes, I mean, this movie is maybe guilty of some other <laughs> some uh, other forms of racism before I claim anti-Semitism. Oh, I can't. Even, yeah, yeah I, don't so, bother. Yeah, I can't even say the word. I'm just so unfamiliar <laughs> with ever saying it before. But uh, <laughs> um. No, but like Zoller, he goes, there's a lot of decisions he makes in this movie that like afford him to do that. Like, like something he would probably say himself that like people call this movie racist. It's like, well, an hour and a third, uh, like 90 minutes of this movie is with Tori Kittles and his yeah. struggle. And Kittles, it opens on Kittles. Yeah, too. it opens on Kittles. And ultimately Kittles is the winner in the end. Yeah. Um, and not, I mean, obviously, like we could say that I don't want to get into specifics of what happens toward the end. Yeah. Uh the the stakeout becomes you know a shootout of sorts amazing and, set uh, piece it's just like the longest set piece imaginable for this type <laughs> of movie it's like a 45 minute finale mm-hmm. uh you know much like john woo uh much like hard boiled's <laughs> last hour basically yeah. but that at a glacial pace you know mm-hmm. uh and rather than going through a hospital and hard boiled you're just in this empty fucking field with like these really shitty yellow street lights. Uh, and uh, let's just say the viral video <laughs> comes full full circle. Uh, there's a bit of De Palma style peeping that pays off for, uh, you know, well, not to give away too much of it, but yeah, it's, it's really amazing how Zoller approaches this set piece, both trying to get the most out of it and trying to use character's perspective. And like like Zoller does things in this movie that like lets him get away with other things like the yeah. racist jokes. Yeah, and there's the, stuff like they they the like that are like vile. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Well, like, there's one thing. We'll just whatever. We'll yeah. just get into details. Fuck yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one of the uh, um, I'm trying not to give actual context for plot for people who care about spoilers, but yeah. let's just say yeah. Uh, a black associate of the uh, white supremacist style crime syndicate mm-hmm. uh, swallows something before dying oh so that they can't God. have it. So he says, you got to pop the liver. And then the guy says, you got to be careful, though, because livers always smell bad, especially black guys' livers. <laughs> they smell worse. Yeah. Uh, which is just like, first of all, nonsensical. Yeah. Second of all, clearly racist. Yeah. You know? But it's like. Does that mean Craig Zoller's racist because his extremely evil villains said a racist thing? I don't. I mean, no, not to, yeah. you know. Uh, but whatever, it's he's not racist. But even if the movie, <laughs> even if the movie is more of like yeah. a libertarian, maybe even yeah. like a down the middle, supposedly because libertarians think they're down the middle but are pretty far right usually. Yeah. 
even if it's that, it's like it's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, I mean stylistically, and like I, some some people came out with some strange criticisms of this movie, and I think like I think people think Zoller's the the racist guy in the van, basically, like some, yeah. some some sort of nerd who loves genre movies, and like maybe that's true, but well, I don't, that part is true. Yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah. But yeah. like you know, and wants to you know reinstitute maybe the most problematic parts of them. <laughs> yeah, but it's just like it's. I don't know. People were calling like, "Oh, this is like a genre movie," but it's like you know, it doesn't have like the fun or whatever. It's just, like he's he's obviously trying to do something different. Yeah, here. he's trying like, to make his own t- type of fucking movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, I don't I don't know what what people want, but if you like crime films, it's you like one of the best ones I've seen in years. Yeah, it's and it's I mean, yeah, it just it it tack like everything it sets up, it tackles it like it really like digs into it mm-hmm. to us i mean if if the movie's that long it better do it but yeah. like <laughs> like something like the irishman or like even a hidden life um both long ass movies both three hours plus like dragged is like delightfully like long in a sense where those movies kind of move along fast like dragged like revels and it's oh, like yeah. slow yeah glacial i think irishman especially the back hour True, has more yeah. of a contemplative pace but it still has that like it's scorsese trying not to go full goodfellas speeding mm-hmm. through everything but it, it he has that instinct you know yeah uh, and this is a decidedly slow movie uh we'll get to the irishman though yeah before that another conservative classic <laughs> absolutely uh, number four directed by clint eastwood you want to take this one jt um yeah i guess like I think I have this the highest rated at uh, four and a half. Um, but I just absolutely love Richard Jewell, especially like coming as like a convert to uh, late Eastwood uh, from a lot of the big influence of you fellows. Um, and it's just like such a perfect distillation of like the stuff I've really loved about that. It's like the whole uh, breaking down. Uh, the American like myth making aspect in the sense where it's just like Richard Jewell is just like a weirdo like kind of loser fuck up but he like had the right skills for the job and it was in the right place at the right time and like fell into like what uh, was like very positive and then turns like extremely negative um, but on top of that Clint does it in like such a slow deliberate way where you get so many like intimate human moments like I just rewatched it last night and there is the the moment where uh Richard is like dreaming about uh the bombing happening again Mm -hmm. and you just get so many shots of like characters you see earlier that are just like happy sort of like families and like sort of taking in the like little impacts that it has on just like regular people's lives there's such a beautiful Mm -hmm. attention to like the the quaintness of like living a normal kind of American life and like another moment that really hits that for me is at the end when like Kathy Bates is like getting back her like Tupperware from the FBI and there's that little moment where she like notices like it's like 61 written Mm, on it and it like can't come off and it's just like such a I mean obviously it's getting at like the impact that um, the media and like FBI investigation that's out in their life is kind of like impossible to remove but it's such a beautiful way of showing that and uh i i love like i mean despite the um like uh sexist uh aspect of it 
I, I mean, like, she does get, like, somewhat of a, uh, a redemption. I mean, it's definitely mm-hmm. the most problematic part for me, but there's so much of it that just sings mm-hmm. and is beautiful. All right, to speak on that. To speak on that, or people are mad about All right. So, wait. Why, people didn't like that because, like... Well, because it didn't actually happen. Didn't actually happen. I thought, or maybe I'm reading, like, Breitbart or some shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but, like, but, like, I swear, like, I, I read that, like, she was sleeping with the FBI agent at the time, but that's not like how the information yeah. was gotten. Maybe is that is that true? Maybe that's true. Yeah, I don't right. know. If, I'm if, not here to say yeah. what's true or not. If that's true, then like I'm like sixty percent okay with the. Depiction I of the movie. also just don't care about accuracy. Like yeah. that shouldn't yeah. play a part in it at all. Mm-hmm. You're dramatizing the life of a weirdo. Also, what they <laughs> not, did, I mean, yeah. no judgment. Yeah. He's a good. Yeah, no, he's, he's not so, a good guy because he wants to be a policeman. That's not. I, that's well, not being a good guy. But that's what makes him such a compelling character is because yeah. he has this heart of gold. He's this yes, ma'am guy that mm-hmm. you just want to fucking adore and give a big hug to. Yeah. But he also just has this like fascistic, undying support for law enforcement. And that's yeah. kind of what his arc is, is getting rid of that finally yeah. uh, because he gets so fucking rammed uh, by the FBI. Yeah. And he was, you know, he was someone who, who realized he was misled. Yeah. I mean, he realizes the institutions that he's come to worship his whole life are yeah. literally the creators of his own destruction. Exactly. It's, it's a, and it's it's something that anyone who had any trust in any form of like. Um, American institution or government system has to it's a moment that they've had to reckon with at one point where it's just like you realize oh shit it's like I'm I'm nothing they want to squash me yeah and it's also just like you don't have to take it so literally Mm -hmm. it it could just be a grander statement of you know Clint thinking whatever that the FBI and the media are quote-unquote in bed and you know what that, not to sound like a, mm-hmm. a fake news type guy, but like obviously that's fucking true. Yeah. Look at how like the fucking CIA uh, coups have been covered by the mainstream media, frankly. Yeah. Like it swings both ways. It's fucked up either way, and there is government interaction no matter what. Yeah, and it ultimately comes down harder on the FBI than it does uh, oh, the for media. Sure. Because the media, like the the reporter, like Olivia Wilde's character, gets the redemption there mm-hmm. at the end. Even if it's like something minor, it is a redemption. And John Hamm, uh, in the last scene, like mm-hmm. he says to Richard Jewell, that he's like, I still think your client is guilty as hell, and is remorseless yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he also fucking looks down upon the fucking... Uh, local loser townies doing the macarena you know he's the bad guy yeah. Yeah. john ham's the, the definitive antagonist of the movie and mm-hmm. he represents the larger antagonist of clint eastwood which is the federal government yeah <laughs> and like something about this movie like that you guys already touched on of how like jewel is not you know he's not a perfect guy he has this, this desire to be in law enforcement respects these institutions way too much um and like it allows him to be, you know, kind of a bozo at parts. And like even like the Sam, the relationship between him and Sam Rockwell, it doesn't ever turn into like this. I mean, it reaches this very closely, but I think this is what makes it really good is that um, it never really turns into like a sappy, like you got this man, like type thing. Mm-hmm. But it's very like it's very easy for most filmmakers to like go and do this. But there's always still a little bit of like contempt, like on yeah. the Rockwell character's <laughs> part and like of, of Jewel and his inability to kind of like stand up for himself in like the second half of the movie. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, there's something very realistic, but emotional and still respects these characters like to the utmost degree. And that allows them to be, uh, imperfect in a way that's just really emotionally resonated with me. 
you know, I'm going to be honest. I cried. I shed tears in this movie. Oh, I wept like a baby tw- the the two times I watched <laughs> this. It's like it's really intense. Like Eastwood, like unlike uh, I, I I feel like pretty unparalleled uh, has such a good like depiction of like a lovable loser, like mm-hmm. in a way that like affords him like so much dignity. Like there's the moment where um uh jewel is rebelling to rockwell and he's saying like i know like that they're making fun of me yeah when they say like cop to cop and shit like that and i think that like people who are like in sort of like the loner or like i don't know are like weirdos or oddballs like they're fucking aware of it like they're not like i mean obviously they like if you had that in front of you 24-7 i feel like you'd want to kill yourself but richard jewel does acknowledge that like the extreme like negativity that everyone is just coming at him with Mm -hmm. uh so the next three movies are three that everyone talked that you could probably guess what they're going to be they're the three that everyone likes before that uh you want to do a couple final awards we teased at the best actors of the year earlier uh paul walter hauser as richard jewell is our clear number one runaway for that just the best performance I've seen in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And like a performance, and I, I think I kind of touched this on the L-Box review, dude. I'm calling it L-Box now. <laughs> oh, um, nice. I call uh, it LB. LB. Um, I, I, I call it the things LB. So uh, like a Long Beach. One of the <laughs> <things>. <laughs> <laughs> like, Paul Walter Hauser's character is like a character that you would never see in a movie that's like respected or like given like this amount of dignity. Like total like fat mama's boy loser like in any other movie it would have depicted like being been depicted a for jokes or b as like something that was extremely like negative and a huge character flaw Mm -hmm. and paul walter hauser kind of gets like uh he really gets you know into like the emotion of this character and you know makes you resonate with him also another winner at the uh, extended clip awards is the screenwriter of this film yeah uh, best screenwriter of the year. Uh, what's his name again? Billy Ray. Billy Ray also <laughs> the wrote, man. Yeah. Also wrote Gemini Man. Well, so yeah, had a jewel type experience where the media fucking trashed him. Yeah, for the Olivia Wilde. Yeah, you know, maybe it's deservedly so. But uh, he. I mean, I feel like the Jewel screenplay is fantastic and definitely like part of the reason why that movie is good. And like Gemini Man too, that got a lot of criticism. So we just wanted to show him some love after like. You know all the hate he received. I don't know if Billy Ray wrote that by himself or anything like that, but uh, there are credited co-writers. Yeah. But yeah. you know we're giving him the screenplay of the year award for mm-hmm. sure. Also related to uh, Richard Jewell. Before we get any further, um, before we get into our top three, I just wanted to shout out a past guest uh, on the clip. Nate mm-hmm. Fisher uh, had a great review that was. It turned out to be prophetic. Uh, his review was. The fake news media will do this to Bernie Sanders like the dogs they are. (laughs) I gotta say, he was right, uh, as we referred to earlier. He notched a Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Also, another award I'd like to give out, Woody Allen Movie of the Year, A Rainy Day in New York. (laughs) Congrats, Woody. It's the one everyone was waiting to hear. Who would win that award? (laughs) And, you know, uh, people liked Pain and Glory, right? Antonio Banderas... Uh, set to star in the next Woody Allen movie. Oh, I oh, forget. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're a fan of Almodovar, watch out for that new Allen coming to theaters near you, prob- probably to theaters near you. Marriage Story came pretty close as Woody Allen movie of the year. <laughs> yeah, <but> true. <laughs> <laughs> Rainy Day leaked just in time to get an actual one. <laughs> Sorry, Bombach, you're going to have to wait for Allen to die to get that, get that award. 
the premise of Marriage Story is definitely the most Woody Allen ass shit yeah. he's yeah. ever done, like by far. I kind of hate that movie. You did, yeah. I, I, I it. liked it when I watched it, and then I feel like maybe it's people on Twitter that made it worse for me. That definitely. But didn't I help. definitely like it a lot less than when JT and I walked out and were very satisfied. <laughs> yeah, I still really like it. Yeah. I just hate people talking about like I hate like uh, just widespread. Bombach discourse is something I don't want. It's yeah. just like I, I like I really like him, but it's like I'm gonna enjoy this in private, please. Yeah, the people who are positive and negative on him, both annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking awful. I see. That's why I'm pretty cool because I'm undecided on Bombach. I still don't know if I like him. Yet. I'm kind of in between, honestly. Yeah. I I think a couple of them are great, and then a couple of them are just fine. So I'm in between of whether he's good or great. He I definitely guess. knows how to make a good movie. This is true. Uh, you know who else knows how to make a good movie? The damn Safdie brothers. I mean, do we stand or what? <laughs> what's, what's something that we could say about this movie that hasn't? Like, I'm yeah. trying to think. They like, invented anxiety. Yeah, <laughs> they invented anxiety. I'm, I'm trying to be creative here. They're the only auteurs that we have. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because the discourse around this movie, and I hesitate to call it discourse because it's not yeah. the memeing of this movie, the yeah. Twitter of Twitterfication of this movie. Um, you know whatever it fits their sensibility because yeah. it is now that is how people process movies now and it is a very contemporary movie despite it being a 2012 period piece mm -hmm. and i think the safety brothers i said it in my letterbox to blurb that they're one of like the most contemporary filmmakers mm -hmm. um you know good time had the the acid tab that had pepe on it yeah uh, this film doesn't have anything quite that delicious but <laughs> <laughs> and i think i saw like someone was posting safety ama screenshots from like half a decade ago the cheese pizza one well i i don't remember that but like josh safty's like oh yeah i use 4chan yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah no exactly yeah, there yeah, was yeah, one yeah, that yeah, said yeah. uh i i use 4chan but stay aware of the cheese pizza sites uh, <laughs> uh there's another part from that ama where he talks about going to a certain part of central park and yeah. looking at a woman uh getting eaten out Oh and yeah, that was, that's as good. he said the first time we ever saw a pussy. Was <laughs> 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 dead ringer shit. <laughs> so if there's two question, two uh, responses to describe uncut gems, that's a <laughs> that's what I'd give it. Yeah, no, uh, it's we, like seeing your first pussy. Seeing your first first pussy <laughs> on 4chan. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a really great movie. We knew we were going to like it. I yeah. liked it more than I thought I was going to, honestly. Uh, they do really well with that runtime, the mm -hmm. longest they've worked with. And uh, Adam Sandler is just incredible, you know, mm -hmm. and he's uh, as detestable as anyone he's ever played, other than maybe in That's My Boy. <laughs> but yeah, it's probably the most hateable Adam Sandler character. And maybe that's why Sandler fans didn't like it so much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Safties just continue to step up their game, mm -hmm. and Darius Kanji was an incredible mm -hmm. addition to the team. Yeah. Also, I found out about um, Good Time because I'm a fan of Daniel Lopatin, OPN. OPN, yeah, OPN. One O Tricks Point Never. So I don't know. I just thought I'd mention that. No, I mean the score is good, right? Everyone says that, but like, yeah, no, it's it's yeah. literally his best work. I mean, I I, I haven't paid that close attention. Yeah. And, like, I haven't given everything he's done a close listen, mm -hmm. but it's my favorite thing he's done since R plus 7. Oh, OPM, yeah. That is. Yeah, that, so. definitely. Um, also, Echo Jam's album of the decade. Just want to say it. I'm not stopping you. Yeah. I don't have a fucking album of the decade. <laughs> I, I mean, that's not my favorite, but it's just like yeah. if I had to, like, if I were to be critical and analytic, yeah. that's mm -hmm. what I'd give it to. Anything on Uncut Gems, JT? 
I think everything that has been needed to say yeah. about it has been yeah. said. It's everything. It's everything. <laughs> yeah. I think to I think it's attention to detail of like 2012, like the attention, the specific attention that they give it is very current. You know, what yeah, I mean? oh, the yeah. things that they're deciding to look back on. Yeah, the Instagram uh, layout looking different, and yeah. like the iMessage looking different. You know, or like, like that thing when you show up on like Safari. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, that was great. The Wi-Fi permissions thing yeah. that popped up. Yeah. Oh, I can. I I want to share a tidbit. Actually, yes. I think that's a, a thing about this. Um, the Safties uh, were saying that the iPhones they got they got from like Apple directly because the second time I saw it they like spoke afterwards mm-hmm. uh, for the screening, um, and they were saying like Apple lent them out like very specific ones with like the right iOS that oh, they nice. didn't like have like more of that it was like a very expensive thing, and that they had to like keep. Uh, turning off like they like apple was like do not like update this because we won't be able to get this again we won't be able to have the like another copy of the ios and there's a scene where like sandler like is just like looking at it it was just so instinctual for him to deny the update (laughs) um in it that they didn't like they just kept shooting they didn't tell him to stop he just didn't yeah that's great number two is the irishman martin scorsese's epic um, as I said, the back half of this movie especially is very slow and contemplative, mm-hmm. uh, a lot more so than his earlier gangster works. I would say it's an instant classic for me. Mm-hmm. I loved every minute of it, and I loved it more in retrospect. It's a film that kind of haunts you in your sleep. Uh, it's one that has stayed with me since I first watched it. No help from uh, seeing screenshots of it on Twitter every single day <laughs> since its Netflix drop. And you know what? I'm not even mad about it. I'm okay with that. Nice. It definitely, like, the memification of Irishman was much more pleasant than the Gems one, for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't... Commandatory. Yeah, <laughs> commandatory. Italian jokes, still funny. Who would have thought 2020, they're still kind of funny. <laughs> Wait, uh, they're uh, still kind of uh, funny. Congrats to the Italians, but uh, um, <laughs> being the funniest people, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they still still is kind of funny. Um, but I I, I love I like I really like this movie, but I feel like I don't like I don't have the firmest grasp on it yet. Where like a rewatch is definitely incoming and could definitely spike it very heavily. But still, there were those moments where it's like, oh yeah, classic like moments where I, like I just felt it through and through. Like something like uh where. I forgot, I think it's, um, I forgot exactly whose wife it is in the movie, um, bad on me, but, uh, um, they're starting their car to check for a car bomb, mm. um, and for some reason that, like, the hesitation of the key, the hesitation yeah. of the key, like, literally, like, like, it, my eyes started swelling up, I was yeah. just like, oh my, like, it was such, like, an immediate assault, and of course, like, that movie has a lot more, like, you know, great moments like this, so it's, I like I, I have it at five on my personal list, and I feel like I'm being like disrespectful for by putting it that low. But it's like because I I feel ah, like fun cool because yeah, <laughs> I know it's it's gonna it's gonna jump up for me. But uh, yeah, that's what it, that's all I got on that. No, it's definitely something that I feel like grows on you mm-hmm. because the first time I watched it, I feel like I I mean I had it rated lower, but I knew it's like it's something where it's like you know yeah. there's a lot there. And uh, revisiting it, I absolutely loved it. There's just, like, so much it's doing in, like, a broad epic scope, but then there's such an attention to detail with, like, specificity. I mean, I wrote in my, like, letterboxed review, um, 
and just like a, a moment that I, I honestly cannot stop thinking about is when he gets the chili dog um, yes. for Al Pacino's character uh, that's like uh, steamed in beer. And mm-hmm. it's just such like a little specific flourish that's like slow and inessential. But it like it's nice that like a movie that's three hours like can find time for that. Yeah, and it needs to be three plus hours because of all the time that it covers. And as kind of Scorsese's Forrest Gump kind of moving through mid-century America and all the changes that come of it. And, you know, people have written better than I could even dream to articulate on how this movie shows the change of like labor relations in the U.S. as it is dealing with the biggest fucking union boss in the U.S., the most famous labor advocate ever in American history, I'm sure, you know, who's more recognizable of a name than Jimmy Hoffa. The tragedy of it is that the nurse at the end representing, you know, the the people of America moving forward, don't know who that is. Um, and it's really great in the way it slowly spells out that tragedy for you. And you get Action Bronson selling De Niro his coffin toward the end. And it's just I never like, thought about it like that, but fuck, that cameo just uh, skyrocketed in my mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. fuck. Amazing cameo. Yeah, see, this movie is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I have it as my personal number yeah. one, but it's our number one. Our group number one is all in our top two. Yeah. So let's hit it. It's. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino film. Back to basics. I can't yeah. believe our favorite film of the year is a Tarantino film. <laughs> no. But it's true. Yeah, I was like, that was in seeing this like six times. Like the first, the, the, the first three like were like me processing and coming around to it. Because like I, I, I knew it was great like right from the beginning the first yeah. time. But I was like, wow, like I didn't know like Tarantino like had this in him and like had the ability to be like so like nakedly personal mm-hmm. um and like reflect on like his particular fetishes in like such an open way that like is honest and like more sincere than i think anything he's done uh since like Jackie Brown yeah um but like each time i was like yeah no this really is this good like i um still like i don't know all the jokes really hit um every moment like uh it's an instant classic uh, what you said about Jackie Brown is very uh, true because this and Jackie Brown are kind of just the peak of his his work for me. Um, I think it really just comes down to driving around the greater Los Angeles area. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad that the greater kind of Twitter response to this was also people enjoying Brad Pitt driving his car because mm-hmm. I was scared that I was going to make me feel like a fetishist of this kind of <laughs> thing. But I'm glad that other people are on board with it mm-hmm. uh, because dra- Brad Pitt driving up through the uh, up through the hills into the valley to his trailer behind the drive-in yeah. uh, in the first you know 40 minutes of this movie is one of my favorite scenes in the Tarantino filmography. And then also him driving up to Spawn Ranch from there, also with the girl laying down on his lap is incredible. Brad Pitt is just like, you know, you catch yourself talking about how cool he is in this movie. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, yeah, he may have killed his wife. Yeah. And like, it's really hard to like navigate this world of damaged people who mm-hmm. made art that made people think that they were their friends you know you have to you have to deal with the ramifications of Sharon Tate you know the goddess of this movie the 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 
can do no wrong person in this movie is married to Roman Polanski, who is also in this movie yeah. <laughs> and who is a piece of shit. And then you have to deal with Tarantino's perception to these people and like how he saw the work that they made and how it influenced him and how he's feeding that back to you, you know, and all the people along the way who are probably terrible and, you know, they were really good at their jobs though. <laughs> no, that's I I really love that quality about it mm-hmm. because it's like a lot of people really hate and think like the dark part like really despise the dark parts of this. And I yeah. like I can get it. I like I see that perspective. But I just think it's like reckoning with like you have such beautiful like lighthearted moments like mm-hmm. uh, you were saying with like driving around with Brad Pitt and like just so many of the, like the more fun scenes that like you need to reckon that with yeah. like something darker and something messier because that's like I don't know. That's what truly I don't know sells it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like kind of like the clash between the fantasy that you know Hollywood sells and like the actuality of each situation. Kind of like even beyond Brad Pitt killing someone, but like Brad Pitt's like the coolest guy in the world in this movie. But he's just a guy who lives in a trailer, yeah. eats mac and cheese, whose yeah. best friend is his boss. Yeah, and like um, you know, has his, you know thinks about oh, remember that badass time. I beat up Bruce Lee, but spends yeah. most of this movie doing nothing. Like, yeah. like, Fixing like, the antenna. Like, like it's, uh, and like something that's, you know, really sweet about this movie, the friendship between Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. We only see them like apart, like the, when they're together, it's great. They're watching yeah. TV, making comments. You know, we all been there before. Oh, of course. Um, but like most of the movie is like, they're not together. They're not being friends. It's a lot of it. You know, the back 45 minutes is about the ending of their friendship yeah. and stuff like that. And, yeah, there's like, like the sincerity really stands out and it's just really appreciated from Tarantino. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, he hits notes in that ending that like I've never seen him hit before. It's it's crazy. There's This is one of the classic movies where people talked about the audience reaction all the time. And it's yeah. like, you know what? Fine. I'll say, yeah, people were laughing like crazy during that violent beat down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of just the glee that Tarantino has always mm-hmm. gotten out of violence yeah. and honestly like yeah you can read into it if you want that's not what i'm reading into necessarily i think i'm more looking at like i've just i've seen people make some big leaps on what that scene means uh online uh such a i gotta say it yeah i I (laughs) see people saying people are saying it (laughs) no it's a very popular tweet that uh got a lot of traction that said you know it was about like um tarantino like beating up like the women who accused his friend of you know yeah his friend being the financier of his first eight movies all right that is that is i i wasn't i hadn't heard that take and that that's even way worse than i expected yeah all right this is i gotta because like i did not like tarantino before this year and i gotta yeah as well documented on our our episode go check the fucking archives yeah (laughs) but but um one thing i always gave him credit for and this is a recent happening but like um, and credit, like when I say credit, it's like, he's still a little guilty, but like when the Weinstein stuff came out, yeah, he was the only celebrity I knew who was like, I did kind of hear like, who wasn't being like, um, you know, saying that Weinstein did something to them. He yeah. was the only people who like could have cleaned his hands of this. But I remember him saying, it's like, I did hear kind of like stuff about this, yeah. like Weinstein doing stuff. Yeah. Like actually that. reckoning with actually it. reckoning with it. Unlike Meryl Streep <laughs> who says she saw nothing. <laughs> You lying dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and I think that's a good note to, yeah, uh, to close out on. Uh, no, yeah. but I think like the Irishman, Hollywood has this friendship at its core that is transactional, you mm-hmm. know, and it really puts a damper on things when you kind of detach yourself from the movie and you think about how transactional some friendships are, just like this one. <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen a lot of transactions. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That'd be a good joke if we had like a Patreon or like a ad mm-hmm. money. But that, that doesn't look like it's going to happen for a long time. So <laughs> we'll just keep doing this podcast, losing 40 bucks a month on a guest. Yeah. Do we... Do you just contact the advertiser and be like, "Do you want to advertise?" For no, this? they got to come to you. I really? think. Yeah. Fuck. All right. <laughs> if not, I'll I'll send a I'll send a pitch letter to one of these companies. Let's pitch it to Earwolf or like. Uh... I don't think we're like, <laughs> Earwolf. Just advertise other shows that aren't on their network. <laughs> uh, well, let's sell this to Earwolf. They advertise like credit cards and shit now. It's like yeah. rich people listening Damn. to that shit. Yeah, it's crazy. Um. Yeah, but I think that's about it for us. Uh, yeah. That was our favorite films of 2019. Anything else you guys want to say? What a year. What a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We traveled all the way back in 2019 and we didn't even have to use the time machine. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we're going to let that, we're going to let that uh, time machine gather some dust. <laughs> um, it's great to be back. We'll be back to double features next week. Uh Logan Kenny's going to be on the pod. Uh he has a great pod you could check out about Jason Statham and we're going to be talking about a uh, Knight of Cups and tron legacy and then uh the the double feature you may have seen on twitter will come after that i think and then we'll do a best of the decade yeah or maybe we'll do a few more decade contenders we're gonna we're gonna work on the decade one we're gonna make it a nice list yeah but we're gonna now we're gonna start saying what next week's episode is at the end i think right we can figure that out that's a good thing for the new year yeah so i just told you that yeah so you know already so we started that yeah yeah Um, we're on on good track and we're on Twitter uh, at Extended Clip sixty nine. I'm at iPod underscore Video. I'm at Bitchface Palace, and I'm imagining this episode's about two hours. So if you're still listening, <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. You're at the one fifty three right now. Yeah, uh, um, I'm at Tall Boy Thin Legs, and I believe all of our letterboxed accounts are like linked to our Twitters, right? Yeah. yeah. So you'll find us on there. Um, buy me Letterboxed Pro. Uh, so I don't know. I'm I'm just gonna let it lapse. I'm gonna let my pro lapse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've never had it before. Woo! Eddie's had it before. I've never had it, so maybe buy me it, it instead. Yeah, exactly. Buy Malcolm uh, Letterboxd Prolapse. Prolapse, dude. All right. Wait, okay. wait, 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 wait. <laughs> one more, one more, and maybe three people will appreciate this. Okay, okay. Um, having Letterbox Pro is kind of like having Fave Star FM back in <laughs> uh, premium back in like 2013. Yeah. See. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Before goodbye, if you'd like to write to us, we oh. will read anything you write to us. Um, extended clip podcast at gmail.com. We, we've had some mix ups in the past with giving the wrong email. Yeah. Out, you know, <laughs> it, and we anything you write into that email, we will say on air. Yeah, we yeah. will say it on air. Yeah. Uh, okay, <laughs> goodbye. Take my verb for it. If you want to make out with a young lady, take her to see Dracula.